Thank you, Billy. Billy is one of our elders here at the church, and uh, thank you, Jason Martin and worship team for leading us into the presence of God this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Jason. I'm among one of the many Jasons here, and I have the honor of serving as pastor and among the elders. And, uh, and if you're visiting with us, I want to say welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Um, and, and I hope that you have been greeted by the church family. This is an amazing church family. And, uh, and so if, here's what I say every Sunday. I would go to church here even if I wasn't the pastor. And so while you don't know if that's true or not, you're surrounded by people who believe that, right? And so um, you truly are surrounded by a fantastic church family. And if you're visiting with us, I hope you feel welcomed and that you've had a chance to meet somebody. Um, if not, hang around after the service. There's going to be a lot of lingering and talking and, and introduce yourself to someone. Let us get a chance to meet you. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3, uh, the book of Galatians is in the New Testament. So after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you've got the book of Acts, uh, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then you have the section that I call the General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, no, Philippians, Colossians, see, I have to do it that way, I don't get them all in the right order. Uh, Galatians is at the beginning of the General Electric Power Company section of your Bible. That's uh, not proper theology, but that's where it's at. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning as we continue our Redemption Story sermon series. And uh, if you want to follow along with us and didn't bring a Bible or don't own a Bible, uh, as always, we put Bibles under the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so write your name in it, take it home. That's yours. Um, and so we're going to continue the sermon series. And so if you're visiting with us and haven't been a part, here's what we're doing for the summer. We're looking at this amazing miracle um, that God performs in our lives where he takes the messes that we make these broken stories that we write with our lives, and through grace and through mercy and through redemption, he pulls these things together, and out of the ashes emerges this beautiful redemption story. It's when we surrender our lives to Christ, we surrender the authorship to him, we say, here, God, you take the pen, and you write a better story than I can write, that the Savior, in, 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 in a dramatic and a miraculous way, begins to write beauty out of our stories. And so, this morning, you're going to get a chance to hear a redemption story uh, from Erin Key, and I'm excited for you to get to hear her story in just a few minutes. And uh, she's actually going to be baptized this morning, and so we've got an exciting part of the service coming up. Uh, but in Galatians 3, we're going to read about what it means to have God's unmerited favor. And so let's talk for a minute about what it means to have favor. What we mean by that is, is ultimately that God is somehow pleased with us. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you walk in here today feeling like God was pleased with you? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Did you wake up this morning believing that the God of the universe is completely pleased with you? I don't mean that he's tolerating you, but that he's actually pleased with you. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read about two different systems that we can work through to get God's pleasure or favor. Two ways to get to the point in your life where you know that God is pleased with you. So in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. And the Apostle Paul is going to introduce us to two different ways to earn God's favor or to gain God's favor. Here's what he says in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And so here's what Paul has introduced us to. First of all, he says there's a system that we're going to call the law. Okay? And what he's referring to are the commandments that we find in our Bible. And there's more than 10. 10 is the summary. 10 is the starting point. But there are a lot of, 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 of reflections of God's law, his morality and character in the Bible. Right? And so this is the law. And so one way to make God happy with you, you listening, you may want to write this down, is to perfectly obey the Bible. Okay? It works. Anybody want to try it? Maybe you have. Many of you have. Many of you are still struggling to earn God's favor, to finally get to that point where you feel like you've arrived, oh, you can rest easy, and God's now happy with you. Well, Paul says this. He says, listen, all who rely on the works of the law are actually under the curse. Now, here's why he says that. Now, what's interesting to note is he's writing this letter to Christians. And so the key word here is rely on. So when you become a Christian, when you are saved, when you trust Christ for the first time, you step across the threshold from unforgiveness to forgiveness. And the Bible says you can never go back. You're stepping into the relentless mercy and grace of God, and his mercy washes over you and cleanses you and saves you and seals you and prepares you for eternity with him. Right? And so most of us as Christians know in order to get across that threshold, we have to rely on what Jesus did on the cross for us because we've come to that place in life where we realize we can't earn our salvation. But what happens, church, quickly after we step over that threshold and we begin to get into the groove and the rhythm of the Christian life? That's where the word rely comes in. Many of us begin to default back to relying on our own strength. We cross the threshold believing God is good and merciful and by faith we can have it, but then we live in the, as though it depends on us. And so here's what happens. We quickly realize we can't make it this way right? We quickly realize, ooh, that standard is way too high. So here's what we do. Inevitably, we begin to develop our own system of law, our own list of rules, do's and don'ts, things we can actually do and manage in our own strength to make us feel better about ourselves. Even as Christians, we do this. For example, going to church on Sunday. Now, I know everybody here woke up this morning super excited to be here, but there are those out there who are Christians who sometimes don't want to come to church. But we, we make going to church a, a rule on the list that, hey, here's the thing. Even when I don't feel like it, I can at least check it off, All right? Then we, then we put on the list giving 10% of my income, the tithe, right? And so we, we can manage that. We can check it off the list, we can feel sorry for the 8%ers and the 7%ers and those who don't have as much faith as us. And we put 10% on the list and we check it off. How about, how about in the service where somebody gets up front and asks us to pray? You actually pray, right? You're not thinking about your grocery list or what's in the oven or what you're going to be doing this evening or what this work week is going to be. You're actually praying. So you got that on the list and you check it off. And so when we can't, we can't accomplish God's system, what we tend to do is what? We create our own system. And that's what these Christians were doing that Paul is writing to. They had come up with their own system, their own list of rules that they could obey to make them feel better about themselves in a way that they could earn God's favor. And so Paul is addressing this by saying this. All who are going to rely 
on the law to get you into heaven? Here's the thing. If you're going to obey any of it, you have to obey all of it perfectly. If that's the route you're going to go, if that's the system you're going to go through to get God's favor, he says it right here. He says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You want to go that way, perfection is what is required. Now, he uses the word curse here. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Under the curse. What is he talking about? Well, Paul is thinking about, and he's talking about Genesis chapter 2 in your Bible, where God has created the heavens and the earth. He has placed Adam in the garden, and he has said to Adam, listen, look around you. Everything you see is good. All that you are aware of right now, Adam, is very good. You see all these plants and all the, all the things around you? Feel free to eat. Enjoy what is good. Not only that, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with little image bearers of me. He said, Adam, I've got one rule from you. See this tree? Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open now to what is not good. And at that moment, you will fall under the curse of death. And what happened in the very next chapter the serpent tempts and twists the truth to Adam and Eve, and they both disobey God, and their eyes are open to death, open to the curse of what is not good. And so Paul is talking about that here. You've got, you've got an option. You've got Adam's option here, which, by the way, we've already failed miserably, so that option's kind of off the table. But let's suppose that so far you've been decent, a good, perfect person. You can obey it perfectly, and when you die, you can be a good Adam, you can make it to heaven with God's favor. But what's the problem? There isn't a person who's ever walked on earth apart from Jesus Christ who has ever obeyed God's, God's law perfectly. And so these folks were struggling, and they had come up with their own system to make themselves feel better about themselves. And Paul said, you want to go that route to make God happy? Then here's what's required of you. Perfection. Now, I don't believe God is throwing that in our face to remind us of how, you know, how dirty and how rotten and the scoundrels that we are. What he's doing is he's, he's edifying and glorifying the perfection of Christ. It causes us to step back and go, well, I can't do that. And then we, we look around and go, well, I don't see anybody who can do that. And then what happens to the image of Christ in our minds? We see him as more. We begin to see Christ as a perfect Savior who walked among us and perfectly fulfilled and obeyed the law of God on our behalf. And so Paul says, that's one system. You want God's favor? There's a way to earn God's favor right there. It's on the table for you. But then he mentions a better way, doesn't he? He goes on to say, verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. I shouldn't even have to point this out to you, but it's obvious. Nobody is going to get into God's favor by obeying the law. Look at what he says. For the righteous shall live by what? faith, shall live by faith. Rather than relying on your ability to obey the law, you live by faith. I want to talk about faith for just a minute because it means believing, but it means so much more than just believing. It's more than just wishful thinking or I've got a genie in the bottle or I'm just going to be a positive thinker. I'm going to hope something happens. This, 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 this understanding of faith begins, first of all, with knowing. It begins with knowing. Knowing what? Knowing the promises of God. That Jesus has died on the cross in your place. 
And by trusting in him and believing in him, not only are your sins forgiven, but that perfection that he lived out, he gives that to you for free. Now, to believe that, you have to know it first, right? We don't get to just make up the promises of God. If I'll just pray 10 times a day, I'll get a promotion. If I'll just give 10% of my money, I'll go home and check my bank account and God's going to give me 100 times that much money in my bank account, right? We don't get to make up promises for God. He's gave us some amazing promises. And so faith begins with knowing. We've got to know what did God promise me. But it also, it also involves trusting. Now, here's where trusting becomes really difficult. When somebody that you love deeply is walking through some kind of a trial or a season of suffering. When your children face hardship, that's when trusting becomes real, right? When your parents or your spouse or somebody that you love deeply is walking through some version of trial, a medical diagnosis that seems terminal, um, a bankruptcy, um, betrayal, loss of a job, right? Those are the moments in life where trust becomes real. When things are going good, we talk about trust a little flippantly, don't we? But whenever, right, whenever the fire hits, that's when we have to make a decision. Do I really trust God or not? Some of you parents have had to trust God with your children. Many of us have had to trust God with our parents, their health, even their death and their eternity. And so faith means more than just believing. It means knowing the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God. And here's another word. And it also means resting, which is kind of a foreign concept, isn't it, in this day and time? I don't mean physically resting. I don't mean taking a nap. What I mean is rest for the soul. Rest for the soul. So many of us, when chaos hits, our response is to what? Get busy and try to manage and try to keep the balls in the air, put the fires out, right? And we try to manage our chaos and our, and our hardships in our own strength. But to rest means to come to that place where you say, God, I am just going to rest in you. My soul is going to be at rest. I'm not going to keep spinning the wheels of my own strength trying to make things happen and keep my head above water. I'm just going to rest. So faith means knowing. Faith means trusting. And faith means resting in the goodness of God. And so Paul is drawing a contrast between these two systems. You can earn God's favor by obeying the law perfectly. Or you can have God's favor through faith by knowing, by believing, by trusting, and resting in him. There's a, a book I would commend to you, especially the ladies in the room who, um, if you've ever struggled with trying to be good enough, um, it's a book called Grace for the Good Girl. Um, it's by Emily Freeman, and I encourage you um, to, to grab that book and read it, some fantastic truths. Um, here's a quote from Grace for the Good Girl. Emily writes, the story of redemption and healing is that Jesus came to exchange my not good enough with his better than I could imagine. Let me say that again. The story of redemption 
and healing is that Jesus came to exchange my not good enough, which we're all too familiar with, right? My not good enough with his better than I could imagine. He came to, take, to trade my life for his, my weakness for his strength, my ashes for his beauty. If you are saved, that exchange has taken place. You can drop the not good enough. You can quit trying to make it work. It's never going to come together for you. You can drop all your efforts to impress God, to show him how awesome you are, to perform well so that he would applaud you. Drop those efforts and exchange them for better than you could have ever imagined. There's, there are believers in the room who know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen? Better than you could have imagined. God doesn't just fix you up. He doesn't just remodel your problems. He takes ashes and creates beauty. Better than you could have imagined. And in verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what Christ has done for us. Verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us. Stop for a minute. Our first sermon in the series, we talked about what it means to be redeemed. We don't use that word a whole lot in our culture. It means, to, it means two different things. One, it means to restore value to. Okay? So if you had like... Um, a vase of like, you know, of an expensive vase of some sort and it fell and it broke, okay? Now it's of little or no value, right? It can't hold water and it's been damaged, not even good for the garage sale. And so when we accept Jesus into our life, he comes and he picks up the pieces of the vase. And as he puts it back together, you don't, you don't see him just gluing stuff back together and when he gets done, it kind of holds water, but it's got all these fragments and broken pieces. When, when Jesus is done redeeming, it's as if it never broke. It's perfect, flawless, pristine. That's the miraculous work that Billy was talking about when he was praying earlier that God does in our lives when he brings the beauty out of the ashes. He brings our messes together and paints an amazing, beautiful, glorious picture. He's redeemed us that way. But it also means, and this is what I believe Paul primarily has on his mind at this moment, it means to ransom. It means to, to provide freedom by paying a price to ransom. And so not only have we been redeemed, perfectly, pristinely put back together, but he has ransomed us. He has paid a price to set us free. Look at what he says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So like Adam and like Eve, every person in this room, we were born under the curse of the law. What's the curse? Obey it perfectly or you die. Obey it perfectly or you deserve to be put on the cross. It's what you'll earn for yourself. That's the curse of the law. You see what Paul's saying? Christ has redeemed us. He's not only put us back together in a perfect, righteous way, he's paid a price. Jesus going to the cross was to ransom us and set us free from the curse of the law. By how? How did he do this? By what? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on the tree. At the, at the moment that Jesus was nailed to the cross and lifted up into the air, eternity was watching. 
And what was happening in that moment, try to imagine this, the curse that every human being has earned for themselves was placed on Jesus. See, I think in our modern day world, 2,000 years later, we've, we've sort of dumbed down the cross a little. We've made it much more fashionable. We've lost some of the brutality of it. Can we just once again for a moment meditate on the brutality of the cross? The pain and the anguish of the suffering of Jesus at any moment could have pulled the ripcord and said, this, I'm, I'm done. They're not worth it. I'm done. Let's reconvene. Let's get back together, spirit and father. Let's think of a different way. This hurts. More than the pain, how about the public humiliation? Being spat upon, being made fun of while he was doing this. How about the betrayal? I mean, not just betrayal by those you would expect it from, from your closest. From the, from the 12 who said, we'll never let them take you. They'll have to kill us before they kill you. And here he is at the cross. Nobody's there to protect him, is there? He's experiencing all of this suffering. Why? Because he became a curse for us. He took our curse upon himself when he hung on the tree. Curses everyone who hangs on the tree. Verse 14, so that, this is the exciting part of, of these verses. Are you ready? So that, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's a big phrase in the day and time that that was written. For hundreds of years, the children of Abraham, the Israelites, felt like they were God's favorites. They had received the blessing of Abraham. And they had lost sight of the fact that God said, I'm going to bless you. But the reason I'm going to bless you is because I want to bless everybody else through you. And they began to operate as God's favorites here on earth. And what Paul is saying, that blessing that God poured out on the nation of Israel, that blessing was meant to, be, to come through Israel like a conduit out to the nations. And so the nation of Israel began to look down upon everybody else in the world who was not Jewish and they were unclean and they were unworthy and they could never stand in God's presence. And Paul is saying that when Jesus became the curse for us, the blessing of Abraham was, was given out to every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every ethnicity, every culture, every color of skin, That's a big phrase. That in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through, say it, faith, through faith. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you truly believe that God is pleased with you? If you are a Christian, God is pleased with you. Not partially, completely. That's hard to believe, isn't it? If that's true, my soul can just take a deep breath. Right? 
You mean I can let go of trying to pretend to be better than I am? And I'm free to fail? Right? If that's true, then all I will ever need, I already have. And now I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I don't have to, I don't have to come up with a system of rules that I can manage. I can simply follow Christ. And when I get it wrong in humility and in repentance, but, but without losing favor, favor from God, I can do what? I can say, oh, I've messed up, God. Here's my sin. Continue this work on me. And when I get it right, what do I do? Man, God is good. But I never lose God's favor. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you the chance to hear from a young lady who has walked this theology out and wrestled through it for years and has come to the place in her life where she is now trusted in the work of Jesus on her behalf more than she trusts in herself. And if you know Erin Key, you know she's a, an awesome person. Memorized tons of scripture when it comes to the rules. She's worked hard, but she's come to the place in her life where she now rests in what Jesus has done for her and him alone. I want you to hear her story now, if you guys are ready. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I have lived in Fort Worth most of my life. I was raised in a loving Christian home with parents that sought to instill a love for God and his word. Uh, my family has always been actively involved um, in serving in a local Baptist church. I desperately tried to be a good girl, um, to do all the right things, to to look the right part. Um, I, I was very active in, in serving in our church and in other um, ministry opportunities. I made many commitments to Christ as a youth and young adult. Um, I memorized books of the Bible, went on mission trips. Um, I even served two and a half years overseas. Well, as a, as a youth and a, a young adult, I became very involved um, with a religious organization that was uh, very legalistic and very um, performance-based. Um, a lot of the focus was on character and, and morals, but there were, was also an element of, of a lot of man-made rules. <laughs> Instead of followers of Jesus, it was more like followers of us, trying to get people to dress in the long skirts and the, you know, using the right lingo. And the, um, it, it, we, I remember them saying, you know, being told that they'll be drawn, drawn to God because of our, people will be drawn to God because of your high standards. Um, and the focus was all on how how modest we were, how, how well we were implementing all these high standards, and then that was what was going to attract people to Christ. But the problem was, <laughs> is we were so busy judging everyone who didn't have standards as high as us. All they saw was, was judgments and arrogance. I believe my worth was based on my performance, and when I did not perform perfectly, then I felt like a failure. Um, I experienced deep depression and and had self-destructive thoughts and anxiety. 
that time, God led us to, through a series of events, to Solid Rock. And under, under Jason's preaching, we began uh, to experience um, a, a new perspective on, on what God's grace and, and His love looks like. And we realized that church is not a place for people who have it all together and have all the right clothes and all the right lingo, but it's for people who are broken and, and for people to come as they are. Last summer, Jason began preaching a series through Hebrews, and one Sunday he was preaching on faith. And that was another word or concept that had been uh, twisted for me and I had misunderstood. And something Jason said that, that really spoke to me was that, that Abraham was not, not saved or justified because of his obedience to God. He was, he was saved because he believed. And when he said that, my, my heart just kind of leapt inside me and I, I started crying. Um, and, and God's spirit began working in my heart. And over the next few days, there, it was like there was a war going on. I went to a nearby park and I just wanted to have it out with God. I, I was experiencing so much discouragement and I just didn't have the joy of the Lord, which I knew was a characteristic of someone who was saved and I thought I was saved. And so I should be having more joy in all my life. My longing and desire has been to please God. That's why I went overseas. That's why I made all these, these commitments. That's why I did all these things in service. I was, I was desperately trying to please God. And so I'm like, okay, God, so I need to have faith in order to please you. How can I get faith, you know? How can I, how can I make myself have faith? And it was still so much of a focus on, on my performance and what I could do. And the next day I saw Jamie at church and I had been wrestling through some different beliefs that um, from my past that I, I realized were were false and I was really struggling um, with what to believe and what was true and and so she asked me how I was doing and I, I kind of I kind of broke down and she just she just started talking and in the course of the conversation she just stopped and, and looked me in the eyes and asked me Aaron do you really believe that God loves you <laughs> and her, her question kind of took me back a little you know I've known since I was a little girl that God loved me. We learned Jesus loves me. This I know. And, and, and I said, you know, I want to believe it, but it's just too good to be, it, it seems too good to be true. And she said, Aaron, it's not up to you to try, it, to try to understand and comprehend God's love. It's just, it's just something to accept and receive. So Jamie, Jamie began praying, praying for me and over me that God would just enable me to experience his love and and to to receive it and to let go of, of what was holding me back um, and and God just and that moment seemed God opened my heart to receive his love and and enabled me to truly accept his gift it just suddenly seemed to kind of dissolve and and it didn't matter anymore because God loved me and God accepted me and and it didn't matter what other people thought because his, his love was enough. And, and it gave me the freedom 
I felt the freedom for the first time. The freedom, the freedom to fail without losing his love, without losing his acceptance that I, I could live life and not be constantly afraid of making a mistake or messing up or sinning because nothing, nothing could change his love for me. And it wasn't even me doing it. It was him enabling me. And, and that realization, it's still, it, it's still overwhelming. Like, and I think it's really special because every night uh, when I, I put my, my daughter to sleep, her favorite song is Jesus Loves Me. And I feel like that song is just as much for me as it is for her. And she wants me to sing it over and over. And, and every time we sing it, I'm reminded um, we are weak, but he is strong. And the Bible, yes, Jesus loves me. He does. And, and nothing, nothing can, not my feelings, not what other people think of me, nothing can change that. My name is Erin Key, and this is my redemption story. Amen. How's the water? It's great. Awesome. Well, I'm honored to introduce to you Aaron Key, um, a dear friend and a sister in the faith. Um, don't you admire her courage? And um, just honored to be a part of this moment with you. And if you're here today and you don't fully understand what baptism is, I think Aaron would want you to know that there's nothing holy about this water, um, but there is something incredibly significant about baptism. It's a symbol. It's an outward proclamation of an inward faith and an inward work that God has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do in our lives. And so don't expect Aaron to come up out of the water and be a perfectly moral person in our eyes. But know this, that as she goes under the water and comes back up, by faith, she has been made perfectly righteous by her Savior, Jesus. She wants you to know that. Well, Aaron, I am truly honored to be a part of this. And I've got a few questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? You do. I do too. And do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Do. And do you believe that he died on the cross and resurrected from the grave for your sins? Yes. And have you come to the place in your life where you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Awesome. Well, it's upon that profession that it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him. And raised to walk in a new life. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together and then we'll continue uh, to worship. Um, Father, we thank you for this miraculous work that you have done in Aaron's life. We thank you for the way that that work um, has encouraged us today and the work you want to do in our lives. And God, we want to pray for any person here today who is stuck in this trap of trying to impress you and, and to earn your favor, that today would be the day of rest, the day of truly trusting by faith in your amazing, relentless grace. So God, right now, would you draw us to yourself? Would you open our hearts? Would you help us to trust in you and you alone? 
Let's stand to sing.